if what you're hungry for is the next best thing, then there will always be the next best thing so that you will spend your life perpetually chasing the next best thing, never fully tasting the satisfaction and joy of contentment. Hey ladies, this is Christy Young with The Gritty Gospel and I am pumped to be here with y'all today. Today we're going to be talking about wrestling with contentment because I believe that that is something that we all wrestle with um, as humans and we live in a culture that bombards us with marketing and ads on every front via TV and music and social media and every kind of way. We are literally, our minds are filled with advertisements and marketing that would tell us that what we have is insufficient or that we need nicer, newer, better things or that we might find greater joy and satisfaction if we just had that next nice new purse or if we just had that other that new pair of shoes or if we got to drive that vehicle, if we could upgrade our vehicles or if we could find a house on the market with one more bedroom. You know, our in our flesh we are made to crave And if we don't exercise discipline in that area of contentment to help us to hone the discipline of contentment, then our discontentment could leave us living lives that are run on a hamster wheel where we literally are always chasing the next dollar so that we can buy the next thing or chasing the next dollar to go on the next vacation where we would literally spin our wheels and our lives and our life's best energies making more money so that we can spend more money (laughs) and all for what? Ultimately, we all have the same fate. We're all going to end our lives here unless the Lord Jesus comes back before we pass on. And it's just that money's fleeting and we can't take it with us when we go. And then God has made it very clear that it is a resource that we should use while we're here both to provide for our families and then to pass forward, to bless others, to be generous. We also have to be aware that we have an enemy, an adversary working against us who would like us to be stuck in a rut, always discontent. Because if we can be discontent always, then we will always be preoccupied with making another dollar or with how to gain the next best thing, how to... Uh, save for that next vacation, how to work hard enough to earn that next promotion so that we can get the salary bump so that we can buy the next house. You know, it keeps us in this perpetual state of chasing money or chasing wealth. And when we're chasing those things, we are preoccupied and distracted and we are really of no good use for the kingdom of God because we are, our hearts and our minds Um, have their allegiance elsewhere other than God. And so we desire as believers to be faithful to the Lord and to pursue him, to place him at the center of our lives and to pursue him with a single mind. And then, uh, and so we necessarily need to hone the discipline of contentment. First Timothy six, six through eight says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Ladies, I think that these verses should be like balm to our hearts. 
in my mind, really, not only should we not feel chastised by them, but we should let them cause us to be free. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So it is a great gain to us for us to be content with what we have. In fact, if we have food and clothing, Timothy says that we should be content. And so for the majority of us, we should be content. And then that would be great gain to us. If we could just hone the discipline of contentment and actually walk that out, that would be great gain to us. Imagine how much time we would save. Imagine how much less we would have to work if we weren't spending money to ever be buying new clothes, new shoes, new purses, new makeup, new school supplies, new uh, homes, new cars, new toys, new, I don't know, you name it, right? You know all the things. All of the marketing and all of the advertising that comes our way, what if we could just close our eyes and what if we could just be content with what we have and help cultivate that in our children to be content with what we have? Imagine how many fewer hours we would spend on the hamster wheel chasing and working for that X dollar when we can have honed the discipline of contentment. I desire that for myself, ever increasingly desire that for myself and for my children. And then this is incredibly humbling. This issue of contentment, you know, a lot of times we talk about it in the sphere of money, right? Talking about budgeting or being financially content. But I also think there is another glaring way that we wrestle with contentment that we don't talk about as much. And I believe that's in our roles as mothers. The way the culture spends motherhood makes it feel like it's a rock bottom job for someone who can do nothing else. You know, basically the culture sends the vibe that you would only be a full-time mom if you have no education, no degree, you can't go make money that would be worth you also putting your child in daycare. And so if that's your situation, then you should be a mother full-time. That's the message that the culture sends our way in America. And yet that is not a biblical perspective. It's not a biblical from a biblical worldview. And it doesn't hold or contain biblical values. But yet I believe that so many of us as believers and followers of Christ have allowed that thinking to permeate our spirits, our flesh, our thinking and ideology. And so I want to call it out because it's false and it's full of lies and the enemy has spun it. And I think in so doing, a lot of moms are not emboldened to stand firm in, at their ministry posts at home because somehow they have bought into the lie that they are more valuable, more worthwhile, or that they are actually smarter or more capable. Some put in the adjective or whatever, however you might feel. If you can hold down a full-time job and have your career and still raise children, then somehow the culture would have us to believe that we are really doing something so much grander if we can hold down a career and raise kids. And that we would not be as equipped or smart or capable if we do not, if we forego having a career and just dedicate our lives and our time at home, that somehow 
we are not reaching our full capacity or our full efficiency or that we are somehow more of a detriment to our families because we are not bringing in income when really that is some garbage. (laughs) I just want to call it what it is because I want to encourage you sisters that the ministry work that we have in our homes is good and fruitful labor, and that is the message that God sends us through his word. And so I want to encourage you that that is how we should feel about our roles as mothers. God views us as people that he has blessed with children, and our role is to bring him to mind in the minds and the hearts of our kids every day for us to teach them and cultivate within them a biblical worldview, to pour the word of God over them, to train them in righteousness using the scriptures, to walk out a Christ-centered life, Christ-saturated life. And we can't do that. We can't teach our kids and disciple our kids if we are so discontent that we are out chasing another dollar, chasing a dream, chasing all of these things that the culture would have us to believe would actually bring fulfillment when they don't. You know what really brings fulfillment is being obedient to the Lord. If we would really walk out what God has called us to do, we would find great fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. And so let me make this personal for me. When I was wrestling with coming home to dedicate my life and my best energies to the full-time discipleship of my daughter at the time, but ultimately my children, I was analyzing all of these things and you might feel the same. I was analyzing whether I thought that I would be content washing dishes, cleaning the, doing the laundry, cleaning the dishes, making meals, uh, spending my days in my home cleaning, cooking, laundering, teaching, discipling, taking walks with my kids, playing with my kids, um, doing all of those things that we might consider mundane and repetitive, but that are supremely necessary to the work of a mother and to the well-being of a child. They're all such good things. And yet I wondered if I would be okay, if I could be content releasing my salary so that now I was going to go to work full time at home, making zero dollars, having zero benefits, having zero perks, not being able to go eat lunch out with my friends at all, ever, hardly, unless it was a play date (laughs) and we found a playground and we were still managing kids while we got to talk. Um, No, all of that. So I was wrestling with whether or not I could be content in my role as a mother. Because everything that I received, every message that I received from my job and my career and my colleagues and the the culture that I live in was sending me the opposite message, that I would be discontent, that I would not be satisfied, that I would regret that decision a few months into having made it and all, really all of the advice I received was not biblical or not and not from a biblical worldview. And so at the time though, I was trying to filter it the best I could, but I wasn't raised with a biblical worldview. So again, I am trying and praise God for the Holy Spirit at work in me to help me to rewrite my mind, to transform the way I think about life because I wasn't modeled this really growing up. And so... I was wrestling with my own 
ability to find contentment in my work as a mother. And I wondered if I could do it, especially having tasted what it was like to have a career and to make a six-figure salary and to, man, to take pride in my work and to enjoy my colleagues and enjoy what I did every day. I wondered if I could be content coming home to be a mother. And even as I analyze that now, that that time, you know, this was for me probably 12 years ago. And so now, can I just fast forward to right now so that I can uh, put some peace in your hearts about how I actually feel? God is so good and so faithful. And now as I get to spend my days with my children, discipling them, teaching them, loving them, caring for them, building relationship with them, I would not trade it for the world because I feel like I know that I'm investing in eternity. I'm investing in each one of them and their self-esteem and building them up and identifying sin and going to bat over that, going to address it and help them to see that repentance is needed. And man, that this, you know, sin, this sin is an issue that we need to, we need to put a spotlight on and to handle. And then I also, I have been so deeply sanctified myself. I'm watching my kids be sanctified, but man, I am being chiefly sanctified in every regard as the Lord grows my patience and my character and my ability to persevere, my steadfastness, even my love for his word as I cling to his word to give me sustaining grace for one more day as I aim to disciple my children well. Oh, it has been so humbling and so good and so beneficial for me spiritually and for my kids spiritually. In hindsight now, I believe that the Lord was protecting Larry and I both because had we both considered or had we both continued to pursue career full time at the rate of speed that we were pursuing careers at that time, I think that we totally could have ended up divorced. We could have ended up alcoholics. I don't know. We could have because so many people drink a ton and and then that's what you do when you go out to events uh, as attorneys. Everyone drinks. And I don't know, I just think that the trajectory for us could have not been great. And in fact, we have several friends who started law school together and are now no longer together. And that breaks my heart. And so I just think that we always have to be pursuing the Lord and what his admonitions are in scripture and aim to be obedient to them. And they are actually a protection for us a good thing, a blessing to us if we can come up under them and surrender to our lives to them and recognize that God has authority in our lives and that he's sovereign over our lives and that his commands are good and sweet to us if we would be obedient to them. And so I think one of the ways that we are prone to discontentment, for sure as a culture, and I think even for us as women who love the Lord, living in the culture, we have to fight to keep our minds right. Scripture tells us that we need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. And I think that that is so true because in the culture, we don't realize how much of the culture permeates our brains and how much of the cultural ideology we adopt as truth when the reality is it's not truth. In fact, oftentimes it's anti-biblical. It's the opposite of what the Bible would teach or admonish for us. And I think very easily our tendency could be like that of the culture to devalue and marginalize the role of mother. And if we do that in our hearts and minds, if we legitimately believe that there is no place for motherhood, that the role of mother is 
valueless and not purposeful and that the or that the role of mother is really meaningless or that anyone can do it anyone can because i do think that's the opinion of the majority of the culture that anyone can raise kids you know as long as they can meet their basic needs and feed them and clothe them and care for them in a loving way then that's great and so find someone that you can stash your kids with so that you can pursue your career because basically anyone can raise your kids i think that's kind of the attitude of the culture and I realize I'm being a little bit callous here, but, you know, I don't know. I just think that I can't underscore the point enough that, in general, the culture devalues motherhood. And we have to be careful not to do the same because the Lord does not do that. The Lord highly values motherhood. And if we view motherhood as inconsequential, then that then necessarily our priority will be to pursue career because we're, we will believe that we do the best benefit to our families by bringing in greater income when that's not biblical. But I understand at the same time, there are many moms and wives who need to work to provide for the basic necessities of their families. And that is good and fruitful labor. It just should not become the primary focus of a family uh, the very core of our lives should not revolve around career. And then we have to make sure too that our that we are a content people so that our discontentment would not cause us to have to be working 40 plus hours a week because of our insatiable appetites when it comes to food or clothing or cars or houses. You know, our greed... I guess what I'm saying is our greed and our discontentment, if those things are unchecked and out of control and that's what's causing us to have to go to work so much that we would not be able to, to spend meaningful time in discipleship of our kids, then something's wrong. We have, there are idols lurking there that need to be addressed. And so I just want to debunk a few of the cultural lies that are sent our way. The first one is this, the quality and amount of things that we own is insufficient. Thus, our discontentment and feeling of insufficiency becomes our driving motivation each day. And I think I've already said this, the quality and the amount of things that we own, that should really not play a role very much at all in terms of whether or not we are content people. True contentment really relies in finding sufficiency in Christ so that no matter whether we have much or have little, just like Paul says, he has found in every situation how to be content, whether he has much or whether he has little. And that would, we would be well and do well and be wise to follow Paul's example to hone the discipline really of being content, whether we have much or whether we have little. <laughs> My encouragement to you, Mama, really is this. If we really know that we can find full sufficiency in Christ, then my encouragement to you is to live like it. And that's my encouragement for myself as well. When we are discontent, we need to run to the Word of God. We need to ask the Lord to help us to have content, contented hearts. And then we need to do our best on a practical level to keep ourselves out of places that would drive or increase our discontentment. So I know, for example, when we came home, when I came home from working full-time at the law firm, I uh, 
began to take my daughter play rather than going to the mall or to Sam's Club or to Burger King, I don't know, to, to a restaurant. We would go to parks and go to playgrounds and go to the library and have playdates with friends and do all kinds of things that were free and then that didn't put us in places where money could easily be spent or where there would be a push even for my children to have a desire to spend money. And that began, that helped me too, to come out of this. I just didn't realize how much I was living in the world and my ideology had been affected by the world and how much I had um, pressures from all around to spend money, to buy newer, nicer things, to, because it's like that feeling, you know, when you go into a mall or even, I don't know, you don't feel it. Like I, my, the, the thing that I really think of is like the mall. But um, the mall that we have close to us is not a great mall, so we really don't ever go. But growing up, we used to go to a mall. And man, all of the stores are shiny, all the clothes are so new, everything's beautiful. And then you, you know, you walk into a store, a store that you love, and then uh, for me it was like limited. I love limited or express. I don't even know if they're still in business. But anyway, I got a lot of my suits there, even for... When I started working and so uh, but you know you can walk into those dressing rooms with the current clothing you have on and be like oh I look so bad or I look so out of date or I look so sloppy or man this looks so wrinkled or I don't know those mirrors and the lighting make everything look like it is old needs to be replaced or that you're not cute and not cool and not hip and not happening I don't know all the things and so and then that's the design, right? So that you'll spend some money in there and update your wardrobe or grab a new shirt or a new top or some new jeans that'll be all cute. And that's the goal. Driving that is your discontentment. Your discontentment, they desire to play upon and make you feel discontentment so that you would spend your money. And so to the degree that we can stay out of places like that, that would be that would benefit from our discontentment so that we so that we would not be pushed and pressured to spend money. Uh, that would be good for us. And it also helps protect our hearts. It protects our wallets and it protects our hearts and the hearts of our children. Here's the second cultural lie. You will experience greater contentment by acquiring more stuff, climbing the corporate ladder and earning a larger salary. My question to you really is this. How many people do you know that are actively doing all of those things, acquiring more things, climbing the corporate ladder and desiring to attain to greater success. And how many of them are fully satisfied? How many of them have great contentment? To be honest with you, I don't know that I can think of one because if, if what you're hungry for is the next best thing, then there will always be the next best thing so that you will spend your life perpetually chasing the next best thing, never fully tasting the satisfaction and joy of contentment. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul says this, and this is so encouraging and should be, should push us all, propel us all forward to adopt the same mindset that Paul has and to ask the Lord to help us to adopt this mindset because we surely can't do it on our own. Paul says this, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances may be. I know now how to live when things are difficult and I know how to live when things are prosperous. 
In general and in particular, I have learned the secret of eating well or going hungry or facing either plenty or poverty. I am ready for anything through the strength of the one who lives in me. This is one of the big takeaways I want us to grasp from this passage. Paul learned to be content. He learned it. That means it didn't come naturally to him. It didn't, it wasn't just something he was naturally good at. He learned it. He honed the skill of being content. Experientially through life, he experienced having plenty and then being hungry. He experienced things going well for him and things going poorly for him. He had a multitude of experiences that helped him to cultivate a heart of contentment. And then God allowed him to experience suffering that helped him to cultivate a heart of contentment. And then we need to recognize that discontentment is our bent. Because of sin, because sin has entered into our human race, we are naturally born and we are bent toward discontentment. We don't naturally, we aren't naturally prone to contentment, which is why God admonishes us through his word that godliness with contentment is great gain. He wants us to strive for that, that we would be people who would gain in contentedness and in, in honing that discipline of contentment. Elizabeth Elliot beautifully asserts this. She says, For one who has made Thanksgiving the habit of his life, the morning prayer will be, Lord, what will you give me today to offer back to you? And so as we learn to operate from the truth that nothing we have is our own, even our time and talents, but it's all from God and it's meant to be returned to him, it'll take us out of the rat race comparison game that exists in our culture. And then we can literally have the mindset that Elizabeth Elliot is talking about here, that we would literally open up our hearts and our minds to the Lord every morning and say, Lord, what are you going to give me today to offer back to you? Because whatever you give me, I just want to offer it back to you with open hands. I don't want to accept whatever you get and then hold it tightly to use for my, I don't know, for my selfish gain. But God, help me to have a heart that with open hands is ready to accept whatever you would give me today and then help me return it to you. Even in my time and my talents and my giftings and my resources and all of those things, Father, would you help us to be people who would, with open hands, return all those things to you? And I, I, I want that to be my heart and I pray that would be your heart, that the Lord would work in us to cultivate that kind of heart condition in us. One other beautiful quote from Elizabeth Elliot that is super convicting for me and one that I just want to marinate on often is this. She emphasizes, it is always possible to be thankful for what is given rather than to complain about what is not given. One or the other becomes a habit of life. And so what is your habit, sister? Is your habit to wake up and to be thankful for all that Christ has given you and for all that you have in him? Or is it your habit and your day, is it your daily habit? Excuse me. Or is it your daily habit to be, to complain, to be disgruntled, to be frustrated about what you don't have or what you're, you were not given or what someone else has that you don't have? Um, or is it your habit to be jealous or to covet? Or is it your habit to be thankful to a loving father who is giving you the best gift, which is reconciliation unto himself? Um, what is the habit of your life? 
And my hope for all of us is that we would cultivate the habit of thanksgiving, that daily we would wake up with thankful hearts, set on fire, ready to work for the Lord, to love the Lord, to glorify the Lord in his name. Okay, here's the third cultural lie that I want to illuminate. It's this. Here's the lie. Your worth is based upon the amount and quality of the things you own, the position you hold, and how much money you make. I want to blow this wide open because I didn't realize how much the culture sends the message to young women that really you need to get a job and you need to go to work and you have, you live in this amazing country, which we do live in America. It's a, an incredibly blessed nation. Women have the ability to, we have the ability to vote, to work, to earn an education for all of those things. I am supremely grateful. And we also though have to watch out for the pitfall that would, I just think it's so easy for us to tie our identities in what the culture views as success. So if the culture is saying we are more valuable if we can bring in a six-figure income, if we can have a higher education, a higher degree, if we can get one extra diploma on our wall, then somehow we are more capable, more valuable than the next gal. And then one, that is incredibly prideful. Two, again, the enemy is playing on our discontentment. If somehow we really do jump onto the bandwagon that we desire to impress the culture or impress or please man or that we value the glory that comes from man, then we will begin to pursue the things that man would give us glory for. And that includes greater education, climbing the corporate ladder, making more money, doing all the things that the culture holds in high esteem or that the culture instantly, by reading your resume, will either attribute value to you or will not based upon the position you hold and how much money you make. And I think for me, I didn't realize how much I had personally adopted the value system of the culture because I had begun to look at people and evaluate people based upon the position they hold and how much money they make because I was incredibly judgmental of women who stayed at home. I was like, what do they do all day? And why don't they want to work? Are they lazy and unambitious? Or did they were they not able? Were they not smart enough to continue to go to school? Did they not desire that? You know, somehow in my heart and mind, I thought I was better than them. And I'm super embarrassed to say that now, but I want to put it on blast because that you may identify with that because that's how I felt. And But the Lord has humbled me. And in fact... The Lord has helped me to see that I had an unbiblical worldview. And in fact, there was a ton of sin. There was a ton of sin and an unbiblical worldview that needed. And God, in his kindness, helped me to peel back onion layers in my life to help reveal to me what the biblical worldview is. I think one of the things that, two of the things that I really wrestled with coming out of my career were releasing my title, my daily title of attorney, because that instantly, you know how it is, and this just reveals all of my sin, but I'm going to just put it on blast because that's just who I am and what I want to be. And in the event, it will encourage you. I just want to say it all. I loved being an attorney. You know, if anyone asked what I did, I could say, and I, it would surprise everyone, right? Like I am an attorney and practicing at this great law firm. I was very grateful, and but there was definitely pride there uh, in terms of, the position I held and how much money I made. 
And then I'd worked really hard and I was very grateful to the Lord that he had allowed me to see and experience that. But I did look down on women who stayed at home and raised their children. I didn't understand what they did all day. And I didn't understand why they would decide to do that, why they wouldn't wouldn't forego making income, making money for their families. Because again, I had adopted an unbiblical worldview that, that told me, that sent me the message that women were more valuable bringing income home than to be in the active daily discipleship of their children. Well, mamas, I want you to know in the event that you feel the same way, that is not biblical. That is not a biblical worldview. Um, and of course, women, if you, we need to work to provide for our families, then let's go to work and let's provide for our families. But mamas, to the degree that our work infringes upon the discipleship of our children, then there is a misalignment of priorities. Our our daily discipleship of our kids is very clearly of primary importance to the Lord. He has called us to that work as his daughters, as believers and followers of him. He calls us, commands us to be in the daily discipleship of our children. And so we cannot, so while work is great and fruitful and it's, it's good, it's, it can be a good thing, it can also be a really bad thing if it begins to steal from our families and steal our best energy such that we have nothing left for the discipleship of our kids or if we don't have any meaningful time with them. That's a problem because discipleship is not happening if we don't have time with our kids. I heard a great sermon as I was wrestling with transitioning out of my full-time career as an attorney to tra- to moving into full-time motherhood. And this sermon... I have no doubt in God's economy and in his sovereignty, he saw fit to allow me to hear it as I was wrestling with all these things. And the pastor said, you can really tell a lot about a person by the way they spend their time and their money. Look at the way they spend their resources and how they live. It will tell, And look at their calendars. That will tell you so much about a person. And so then at that time, and this was when we were still debating about whether to bring me home full time or not. At that time, all of our money was spent on our house, on childcare, and on eating out. Those were our biggest expenses. And then, and so what is that? What did that reveal to me about our lives? We literally paid the most for a home that we spent very little time in because we were working all the time. For daycare, and so that meant literally handing off our daughter to other people for the greater portion of the day for her to be discipled and trained and taught by them. And then eating out because we didn't, again, we didn't have time to be, I didn't have time to be meal planning, grocery shopping and doing all the things we were doing when we literally spent the majority of our wakeful hours at work. And so I would admonish you to, to look at your calendar and to look at the way that you spend your time and your money. What does it reveal about you? And then our calendars, can I tell you our calendar revealed that we were working all the time. Even like weekends and holidays and all the time. We were working all the time. The center of our lives, like the center of our lives really was just work and career. The dialogue in my head was like this. I'm going to work making big companies more money. I'm going to set up entities. I'm going to help people trademark their new goods, services, or products. And I'm going to do that and do it well. And then ultimately I'm going to die. And then my daughter... My daughter and I, will we have any real relationship? Because she will be in the full-time care of others really for her whole life. 
I mean, the majority of her wakeful hours, she would never spend with me. They would be either at daycare or in school. And I would never really have a great opportunity to build a deep and meaningful relationship with her. I would never have hours to talk and teach and disciple and train her. I feel like the Lord just opened my mind to see all the things that I had not yet previously seen. And I was so grateful to him. I am so grateful to him for that. Paul advises believers. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so that's such a beautiful admonition from Paul that there is such joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in contentedness and that it literally, it frees us from having to compete in this rat race to, I don't know, always ever be running on the hamster wheel chasing the next dollar. If we literally can learn to operate with less then that means we free up time to work less. And then we can be engaged in good work, fruitful labor for God's kingdom. You know, let's work. Let's work, put work in its place. Let's work so we can provide for our families and put food on the table. And then, but then let's use the other time that God's given us, the other hours in the day to disciple and train and teach our kids to be involved in ministry, to love on other believers who are in hurting or desperate situations, dire situations. Um, or just need a pick-me-up, a sweet friend to come alongside them. Uh, Let us just be with minds, if our minds can be content in Christ. If we can really find sufficiency in Christ and rest there with our minds, then that frees us up to be used in mighty ways for the kingdom of God. Okay, so the last thing I'll say about this is, I just also want to encourage you, every one of you, any of you who might be wrestling with potentially coming home, trying to come home, transitioning out of career maybe, or even to reduce your workload at your at the office or in your career so that you could spend more time in the discipleship of your kids. I just want to encourage you that you should go for it. I don't believe you'll have any regrets. And I think that as long as you maintain a, an eternal perspective, then that is the most fruitful labor that you can do. And it has been incredibly fulfilling for me. Um, And I do think, though, that because it is so different from the worldview of the culture, that you've got to stay in the Word of God. Because otherwise, if if you come home, but then you soak up everything the TV says, everything social media says, you soak up everything the world throws at you, all the advertisements, all of the marketing, all of the things, then I do think it's easy for you to be discontent in your role as mother. However, if you dig into the Word of God and you aim to... Man, keep your eyes focused on Christ and to live a life that's obedient to him. And you dig into the discipleship of your kids. You dig into sharing God's word with them, to enjoying worship with them, to, uh, I don't know if you can keep yourself free from the world. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 cautions believers and says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. And so this passage could not be any more clear. We are really admonished by John not to love the world or the things in the world. And so all of those things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, all of those things are of the world. And we need to flee from them. We need to aim to find contentment and sufficiency in Christ. 
And so my prayer for you, sister, and for myself is that we would do that and that we would clothe our minds in the word of God so that we can daily be content and satisfied so that we can be so that we can devote our time and our hours and our energies into things that would magnify the name of the Lord and that would further his kingdom and that would bring more and more people um, into heaven with us. Sisters, it's been so good being with you. Until next time.